I'm Delma Jackson III. No, I'm Shandine Garcia. Do you have to do that every third or fourth episode? It's, it's the same tired as Joe. Every time. Every time. It makes me laugh. Again. Every time. It doesn't make anyone laugh but you. I'm Shandine Garcia. I'm, no, that's not what we're doing. You're going to start at the top and you're going to do this the right way. I hate you and I'm everything you stand like for. That. That, everything you stand for. That Welcome kind of to another. Doesn't work stop, well stop, for talking. Me. stop talking. You, you stop talking. Welcome to right. another. Stop talking. Welcome to another. I'm going to fucking reach through this screen and strangle you. There would be so much graffiti. Strangle you. And TP'd trees. I'm not going to let you use any toilet paper. Welcome to another. Stop talking. Welcome to the season finale of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I'm Shandine Garcia. And I'm Delma Jackson. And today, Shandine and I review season one and talk about lessons learned um, and kind of bounce off of one another, what really stuck out to us from our guests and what might have changed us or what we might be taking with us well into the future based off of the wisdom of what they had to offer. We want to thank everyone who's joined us for season one and especially thank those who've donated to the show through our Patreon page. We have a new member of our Dive in Justice family, Rebecca Weaver. Thank you so much for supporting us, Rebecca. It means the world to us. And in general, all of our listeners the active presence on social media, the text messages you send us, the emails you send us, the shares um, that you pull off Facebook and more. It's been a, a rocky journey that's been beautiful and clunky. And I mean, you all met Delma, so you know what I mean. And it's it's been such a blessing to have you in spite of the burden with Delma. So thank you, everybody. <laughs> oh, man, you you just continuously do my heart so much good. Um, I wanted us to take a moment and uh, start with the way we, we normally would start, right? I want to do our check-ins. And after that, we'll probably do some uh, move into some general takeaways from just podcasting in general. Um, both of us are first time podcasters. I know I've learned a lot. Um, maybe Shandine has learned a lot, too. We'll see. Um, but I definitely learned a lot. And so I wanted to take just a moment or two to name that. And then from there, just get into the brilliance of our guests um, and just shout out a few of them. And some of the things that they've had to share with us that stuck with us. So, yeah. Um, in terms of highs and lows, uh, Sean Dean, where you at? What's going on? What's your high? What's your low? My high is I just spent a beautiful four days in Seattle with my beloveds. And coming back, I had given out a ton of keys to my new place in Portland. And it was used. And when I came back... There were fresh flowers. There were fresh peaches. There was apparently a link under a leak underneath my sink that uh, my friend repaired for me. 
There were fresh tortillas brought in from New Mexico. There was, it was just like, it was clear the people had been in my house using it. Like, and they told me, but you know, I don't, I didn't anticipate all of the, the love just showing up inside the home. So it was, um, that was pretty amazing. That was definitely my high. My low, what's my low? What's my low? The every single day is ticking closer to my children leaving. And the asshole in me is, I fucking did it. I'm out. I'm free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, helped, I helped create these beings. And the, the other side of that is, fuck. Like, what do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. They, I, they were the center of everything 24 hours a day. And, and they're, come, they're with their dad this month, and they're going to come back with me on August 1. And then Zay Zay's leaving on the 16th forever. Mm-hmm. He'll never be living at home in that way and so i like and, and gabe's taken off to ireland and so it's a whole like fuck. like sad that yeah. they're gonna be gone and also the fuck like what meaning is there in my life without them it's terrible it's super selfish and whatever Do with i mean i think work. emptiness syndrome is is real right people talking there's a phrase for it so like i've had 18 years to prep for it and then it seems like, I don't know, like, I don't like, I want to not like the phrase empty nest because it feels super white, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't offer a more Afrocentric uh, term. <laughs> Try harder. Come on. Jesus. You know that Some 90% people. of the time I talk about highs and lows, it's involving the hooligan. So like, you think you'd have been ready for this one. No, you got to be ready for the low when they leave. Ugh. Okay. What you got? Starting with the low. Um, I know I've talked to, about struggling with um, executive functioning issues, but I would say this is a little further than that. It seems like the more heavy a thing is or like the more important a, a particular check mark is, um, the harder it is for me to want to engage it, the more I want to put it off, um, even when it's not hard to take care of. It just happens to be more serious. And I really have to chalk that up to a form of anxiety. I learned that in therapy. Um, there are just some things in front of me around picking a school, a high school for my daughter and going through the steps of, of getting that situated. I'm dragging my feet on that. Part of me is lightweight salty that I can't hand it off to somebody else. But then part of me feels like a control freak and, I won't feel right about it if I don't take care of it myself. So it's like, it's it's a mixed bag. Um, in terms of my high, yeah, did some writing today. And um, part of that is just getting in touch with the rage that I have in a way that felt healthy. To write from an angry, sincere, vulnerable place today. Um felt really good and as you know i work a lot in predominantly white spaces predominantly white institutions and um when working in those spaces 
there's all of this history and all of this context that I'm carrying that I'm often not able to speak on or it doesn't feel like it would be productive. Um, and I see things and I hear things and I feel things that I don't always feel like I get to embody because it may not be productive. Um, so today being able to take some of that built up, pent up shit and just put it on paper in no uncertain terms, no, no minced words felt really therapeutic. Um, and it's helping me kind of figure out what my voice needs to look like moving forward as I evolve as a facilitator, um, what I'm willing to bend on and compromise on and what I'm not. Um, so yeah, um, it felt like an important step and that felt really, really good. So that's me. Productive executive functioning location for rage and putting PWIs in their fucking place. I feel like you had a, you've had a strong couple of days. Ah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Putting them in their place. I like that. <laughs> if only it were that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be on the phone 24-7 just calling up random PWIs like, hey. Get Delma. your shit together. Right. Hey, you fucking exactly. racist dick. This is Delma Jackson the third. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I, I had got some shit you. for you today. <laughs> if I, if, hey, y'all get a call from Delma yet? Right. It's the opposite of like, this is Ed McMahon. Yeah, basically. Ah, basically. It's Donald Jackson the third. They just start oh, crying. Fuck. Yeah, they just start oh, crying. Fuck. Shit. Yeah. Fetal oh, position. God yeah. damn it. Racial reckoning via my fucking phone. Fax machines going out the high rise windows. Yeah, it's all bad. It's all bad. Um, I one day. Up for that shit. One day. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> By the time I retire. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Let's 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 do an episode where we just fake call PWIs. <laughs> no, nah, not even an episode. I say we just make that a regular segment of every episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I um I wanted to spend a little bit of time um just talking about what is what it's meant to do a pod. And I don't want to take forever because, yeah, this might only be interesting to people who are interested in making pods themselves. Um, <laughs> there were a couple of surprises for me. Um, there were some things that felt tough and there were some things that were relatively easy as well. And um, some intersections of all of that, obviously. And I just wanted to... Um, name a couple of those things. I think for me, in terms of surprises, to be honest, I was always surprised when people gave us good feedback or like, I really like your show. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, did you listen to the right dive in justice? Right. You know, is there another one out here I don't know about? Um, I think all I can hear was what's wrong with the thing sometimes, right? And and get really hyper focused on what I should do better or what I should change or how this edit didn't work the way I wanted it to, or the music didn't get the way I wanted it, whatever. Um, And so I think it's easy to miss what's working and what's good and what's helpful. And um, Mm -hmm. I can't take, I won't take any credit for it, but I I will say we've had some really dope guests 
um, this season, people who do really good work in the world. And they've had a ton to offer up. And I think I'm kind of playing them when I get surprised that people like the show as though <laughs> it's all about me and shit. Um, so that's fucked up. But yeah, that always catches me by surprise. I'm not going to lie. I remember talking to our amazing um, dear friend, Jenny Cotting, who's also our communications guru specialist, and telling her, like, can you give us some advice on how we need to work on some of the things that I hear us repeating again and again, or things that we should say differently? Because, and, and her beautiful advice was, like, that's who you are. That's how you talk. Like, if there are particular, like, things that you want to work on personally, for example, like, for me, like, not saying like all the time or whatever the fucking thing is. She's like, I mean, work on it. But they they want to hear real people. Yeah. And my response is, really? Like, <laughs> really? Because I feel like the polished me is better. <laughs> I hate me. <laughs> like me like no one wants to be in this head (laughs) Uh no one wants the worst part of it and for her to say things like that i'm just dumbfounded yeah by that and i do think oh well the the beauty of the podcast is because of anru or yane or janine or like a khalif like it's because of our guests like they Mm -hmm. they managed to like hold it um i am i'm with you too i am i'm surprised when people like it um i'm i'm thrown yeah for sure i think too i came at this kicking and screaming i was not going to do this um and it was isaiah it was my youngest who said i needed to and i thought the harder piece would be finding a rhythm and a synergy with you Mm. and it would be easier to be interviewing the guests and talking to the guests and learning about them. And actually the opposite was true. Mm, mm-hmm. No, I have to agree in terms of connecting with you. Um, I hate the term synergy. I feel like it always associated with like corporate America, but I have greatly appreciated um, co-hosting this, this season with you. And um, <clears throat> there is a, a corporate tycoon. It works. Fair enough. <laughs> there is a, there has been a um, an authenticity that I wanted for this show. That felt important for what I wanted the show to be for other people, and um, you never fail to bring that with you. I think that's just who you are, um, or you're really good at faking it. I don't actually care either way. Either way, um, <laughs> it's your your personage has been so good for the show, for me, for our guests. Um, and it's been a pleasure to work with you. And I'm glad we're recording this because you ain't going to never hear me say no shit like this to you again. When we come back, Shandine and I will revisit some of our most memorable moments from season one. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a second. Thank you for giving Dive Justice a listen. 
We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. I wanted to spend some time renaming, revisiting some of the wisdom of uh, our guests from season one or, or, or inviting us into a conversation about things that just kind of stuck, stuck out to us from season one. So, and I'm really glad that the episode I'm about to refer to came in the lineup where it did because Ooh. it allowed me to reflect back with her framing and then forward with it. And that was uh, episode six, Leah Penniman, mm-hmm. when she talked about those four sections of the butterfly wings. Something that really helps me very much is this, this image of the wing, of the four wings of a butterfly of transformative social justice, right? So the four wings include, number one, resist. That's the blockades, the marches, the strikes, the uh, sit-ins, right? That's one wing. Another wing is the reform wing. This is how we infiltrate the system. We have some school teachers in there teaching the youngsters. We got some people in office, you know, a couple people, prosecutors in the DA who are going to go for lighter sentences or alternative sentencing. That's the reform. Uh, Another wing is the build, the alternative institutions, the people who are starting the freedom schools, the farms, the co-ops, the food hubs, the credit unions, kind of the world we want to see. And then the fourth is heal. That's the ritual, the ceremony, the therapy, the somatics. And we spend a lot of time, we are one butterfly, but we spend a lot of time fighting around which wing is more important when in fact the butterfly cannot fly without all of those wings. It really gave me a window into thinking about how our guests show up and where they show up in these spaces. The people who we interviewed are holding so much in this beautiful configuration of Leah's framing of the butterfly wings that I feel like that's it's worth getting up the next day. They're putting more oxygen into the air for us to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to that end, um, I could pick up on that because that was something from uh, our conversation with Leah that also stuck out with me. And I think the thing that worked well for me with that particular metaphor because it came up in the context of folks fighting amongst one another about which methods work the best right it's something i've seen come up in various circles that i've been in um everybody being really really passionate about the way they show up in particular and being convinced that that's the way to show up and i so appreciated that metaphor the butterfly needing four sections of its total wingage, right? To be able to functionally fly, right? You have to have sure. all of these components. And so that that really stuck with me as well. And um, honestly, I haven't been in a space where I had the opportunity to, to, to use that or to draw on that, but I can definitely pretty much guarantee that should that come up in my 
circle that it's something I'll be leaning on. So I'll be forever grateful to her for, for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. I'm curious to think about how um, Tanya Esfuerza from episode nine, mm-hmm. how her her way of being and what she's bringing into this world overlaps with that concept of the butterfly. She says, we're all storytellers and we all have access to stories once we've created the conditions within ourselves and around us to be able to receive them. Some of us tell stories in our drawing. Some of us tell stories in our cooking. There are endless ways of telling stories, receiving stories and building them. I'm wondering if she sees story in like your storyteller and resist your storyteller and reform your storyteller and build your storyteller and heal mm-hmm. that, that I make it makes me think of that. And then just to reflect back the second she started singing. Memoria. Memoria. You have to know there are other forces at play through her body, her voice, and her soul. I mean, it was like reverberating. How does that something that powerful reverberate through a freaking squad cast, a virtual platform Mm -hmm. that real? Mm -hmm. Was fucking believable mm-hmm. yeah I dig that um the the notion of going from being uh, someone who sees themselves as solely um, or identifying primarily as a soft spoken person right to recognizing that there is is storytelling to be told stories to be told and storytelling to be had even in that identity, right? Like you don't have to be the extrovert to be a storyteller. You don't have to be the loudest person or the biggest personality in a room. Um, and there are so many ways to tell a story. And so I'd be interested in, in circling back to her with that question that you raised. Uh, Cause I imagine I know her answer would be yes. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to hear her her speak to that as well. I want to go all the way back to uh, the very first guest we had, um, Khalif, and where he talked about this idea of how identity politics can, if we're not careful, right, it can it can kind of trap us when we're committed to the idea of ourselves as being a particular thing, a particular identity and all that comes with that identity, all of the political, moral, emotional obligations, behavioral obligations that come, that we, that we take on, uh, take in, take up in order to uh, gain access, maintain security and claim by a particular um, political realm, political home, uh, political family, identity family, we do ourselves a disservice uh, of, of cementing ourselves in place. So, and we don't realize we're doing it. You know, the sense of belonging 
in that realm is so uh, intoxicating. It's so compelling uh, that we don't we, we miss the bigger belonging. For me, as as a black male who forever in my adulthood um, has really identified with that strongly and with that part of my my being so strongly, particularly my blackness, my maleness, you know, coming from that place of male privilege. I don't think about my maleness as much, but my blackness is something I definitely wear on my sleeve and like a cape. And um, so that stuck with me because it's like, okay, where are the areas that I'm willing to break with what my identity's performance says I should be, you know? Um, and there's something really powerful in, in pointing to that, that I appreciate. I do too. One of the things that uh, Khalif and I, uh, um, with some other beloveds, have talked about is the concept of being seen. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got frustrated one day. I was like, I just, I, I just want to be seen. And he said, just seen. Just like justice, justly, like seen in your in your wholeness. Mm-hmm. And anything less than that feels violent. Word. Word. And what what Yanez Yane said in episode four. In a perfect world we are seen. We are validated. I read a quote somewhere and I'm gonna completely butcher it, but it said something like genuinely being listened to is so rare that when it happens it is the closest feeling that in in the physical human body that feels like love. In a perfect world, we're seen. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that, those identity politics and, and behavioral and political and moral obligations around that, that cementing in place these things which just feels like ah this shit's fucking hard yeah 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 um and that brings up the notion of of what it takes to see because <laughs> um yeah like i would love to be seen as a whole person i would love to be able to see everyone as a whole person but i have to recognize and this is where our healers collectively become so important, right? I'm only capable of seeing someone through my fucked up, foggy ass, dirty ass lens, right? And so much of what I'm seeing is a projection of my own shit onto someone else, right? And so I'm always talking about this perfect utopian society I want to build for everybody and shit. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think about uh our interview with Anru and you know, he uh again one of our earliest folks on the pod who does the work of um providing spaces for therapy, right? And providing spaces for healing for other people. Um and just thinking about like all of the craziness that I know I personally would bring to the very utopian space I, I want to create. 
right? Like I would be my own worst neighbor in a lot of ways <laughs> if we don't have people there, right? And we've had a few guests speak to that, but one of the things that I appreciated about Amru and the modality in which he, he's working with folks where he talks about that distinction between what is real and what is true. I talk to people about the difference between what is real and what is true. So I say, your feelings are real. Your actions that come out of them, your thoughts that come out of them, all that is 100% real. I can really come into this conversation thinking like, they hate me. They're just like happy just to be taking up airtime. They don't care what I'm saying. Like, I could really feel that way, right? And I could start to behave that way. And it may not be true at all. Yeah. He says, it's been critical for me to hold the relativity of what it means to be Black. I'm a human being. These are my people. My people are of African descent, Indigenous both from Turtle Island as well as in Europe. And I walk out the door and people are going to see what they see and treat me how they're going to treat me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Ugh. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the last thing I'll speak to that, is, that always sticks with me too is where he made that distinction between um, being triggered um, versus just having bad feelings. You can really believe and you have this experience and you felt I was doing this, right? Yes. And it might not have been that. And how can we how can we come together with that complexity, not victim blaming and dismiss you because I don't like what you have to say, but can we really look at it and tease out the complexities? And that's the piece that in a lot of progressive circles, people don't have the skill and they don't have the capacity because everything then does trigger them. And if you are actually being triggered in your trauma, you are not thinking rationally. Mm -hmm. So, but people don't want to understand or admit that like, oh, maybe I'm not actually Maybe I actually have some distorted thinking about what's going on. Being able to even make those distinctions, to name those distinctions, like we got to have healers, um, folks who study this and do this work, because I couldn't do it. I'm just like, well, shit, I don't know. (laughs) I have a a, a beer in a seat. Like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Right. Well, it's also like where, like, that's the, the challenge between where our focus is. Like, to get to that subtlety of trigger, like, where's our focus going to be? Sarka talks about BIPOC thrivance versus focusing on white folks. I'm really interested in BIPOC thrivance. So my investment right now is, like, how can I nurture the bright and the light and the, the wisdom and bring the best of my ancestors through me to, so that that's the energy, like, pervading the space? And then I feel like the rest will sort itself. Mm-hmm. And you talk mm-hmm. about it in your, in well, you're about to talk about it in your blog post, listeners. Yeah. Please list, please go to Center Pole Communities and check out Delma's blog, where he holds PWIs accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do we know where we spend our time? Yeah. Yeah. Um and I have a, you know what? <clears throat> That's such a good question. And, and to me, it goes back to uh, Leah's butterfly. 
I'm gonna just start calling Leah's butterfly like she made it and shit. Um, <laughs> but to me, that's what it's about, right? Because I think what um, it's another way of conceptualizing the same thing. Because yeah. I would not argue that Sarika focusing on BIPOC folks and thriving is like the wrong focus anymore than she would tell me that, you know, my work in predominantly white spaces is the wrong focus. Like, that they're both necessary, right? And I've even seen folks fight about that. Um, one of the episodes that has been not bothering me, but just ever present about um, like, like how I parent and am I parenting my children mm-hmm. the right way to prepare them to be and navigate in this world? Um, Leah Dunbar on the episode eight, when she's talking with her sister about their upbringing. Being raised by a black man, you know, from birth (laughs) and being, um, you know, just that inoculation that a black parent tries to provide their, their child um, before they move into um, systems that would harm them, um, sometimes feels uh, like harm itself, you know, a little bit. Like, um, I would say that, I mean, it wasn't focused on healing. It was, fo- you know, his stories were always focused on um, protection, protection, preventing harm. Ever since they said that in their conversation, I have been like, did I do too much in prevention? Did I do too much body blocking of the world for my children that like that, that I didn't focus enough on healing? And I know it's not like this isn't all about us and our like egos and our parenting and our pieces, but like the larger piece is where is the balance of healing and protection and and harm reduction and prevention where I, that line is so unclear one of the things that that particular piece brought up for me is that those historical narratives and the way we as parents in Black and indigenous communities and other communities of color, the way we are often um, trying to just make sure our kids survive. And when you're in survival mode, you're not necessarily focused on healing because as far as you're concerned, that which is causing your death is still very much present. So that's where you're going to be operating from and out of. Mm. It's It's like you know, when I do workshops and, and, you know, I often talk about how people will say, you know, this group needs to get over it or that group needs to get over it. And you can't get over a thing if it's still happening. Right. And so I think the what what makes me happy is that I will say I hear more and more of my contemporaries raising the very questions you're, you just asked based on what Leah had to share. Like, I hear more and more of us and younger parents thinking about that. And we're not going to change anything if we're not even talking about it, 
right and so the fact that it's even coming up this idea that I don't want to just you know focus on preventing your harm I want to focus on your healing that's a that's a beautiful transition to make it makes me feel hopeful yeah yeah it does make me feel hopeful mm-hmm likewise um and speaking of which right we're, we're having those conversations as parents I think we're having those conversations more and more as healers as therapists social workers are having those conversations and I know we were lucky enough to have the Dunbar twins we were lucky enough to have Jeff being on the show all of whom are educators right so what are the conversations in the classroom and mm-hmm. um Going back to something that um, I think it was Rena who mentioned the notion of kids have to be in charge of their own learning. If we're with the youth, then they're to me they're the ones um, calling the shots for themselves. What are they interested in? What do they? Uh, what draws them? Uh, what do they see around them? Um, so that they can be their own brilliant selves, which they are. Um, and yet, like, create a space where they could go in this direction if they wanted to, or that direction if they wanted to. Could you imagine saying that to, like, our grandparents' generation? <laughs> like, say. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It sounds lightweight crazy to me, but I know I'm the crazy one, right? Like, I know I'm old school didactic. My grandparents, though. My my dear friend, Jonah Canner, was reminding me of the notion that no one is disposable. Mm. No one. Mm-hmm. No one. And then I think about the educator, Jeff. And he was talking about the first time he realized there was a world outside of his town. At 16 years old, um, I had a social studies teacher give me the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, And as a white kid in Sturgis, Michigan, which was an all-white rural community, um, that was the first time I understood that there was a world outside of my little town. Um, And... I was blessed that I had Malcolm as that guide um, because he was so clear about what the world looked like and and how he entered into it and and fit into it. And what it means to him to ensure that no one is disposable. That also means that these white teachers aren't disposable. Mm -hmm. That also means that Shitty white teachers aren't disposable. That also means that damaging asshole white teachers aren't disposable. And he says a line in there that's, I realized that it wasn't the kids. It was the system. Mm-hmm. It's hard to channel the compassion for. It's not hard to like hold space and want to believe and do all that you can for the Jeff Beans in the world. It is hard to do that and to look at the worst white teacher and say, I realized it wasn't him or her or them, but it was the system. (laughs) (laughs) And to hold on to 
what Jonah said, no one is disposable. No one is disposable. Mm-hmm. And part of it is helpful to us in our own healing. Like mm-hmm. when we gaslight ourselves, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's also great to do it when you look at the school to prison pipeline. It's also easy to do it in the book. But for the worst of us, fuck, that shit's real. And that reminded me of something Leah was talking about toward the end of our time with her. We are in a rural area in upstate New York. There are Trump flags flying still. And it's over, right? There's 2024 Trump for president all around my house. Pretty soon after we moved out here full time, there was a severe hurricane 2012, 2013 that wiped out the only road that goes from this town to anywhere else. So elders, you know, can't get to their appointments. Nobody can get groceries. The water, the floods had wiped out uh, topsoil from the farms around. And the liberal urban left talks a lot about mutual aid, this and that other thing as a theory. I will tell you that every single person in this town came out with their tractors, their chainsaws, their shovels, their extra gravel, fill, whatever they had, and put the town back together. Nobody got paid. Nobody coordinated anything, right? But everybody got fed and everybody got safe. And that was a very important moment for me because I have uh, a lot of judgments and many of them are warranted (laughs) about the politics of my neighbors. But when it came down to it, when it came down to what was actually needed for folks to survive and be humans to each other, people showed up. I remember feeling both warm and fuzzy when she shared that anecdote and also resistant yep, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think where things feel the hardest and things are most likely to implode. When I'm in pandemic mode, and this is very cut and dry, um, a life and death scenario. I feel much less tolerant because I'm living through and navigating in real time a traumatic event. So when I think about the way in which the left can implode on itself at times, you have a bunch of folks coming together, trying to work together, trying to organize, trying to build something. But some of us are bringing our traumas, real and or perceived. And it's going to be hard for folks to want to compromise when they're operating out of that space. Right? Things get very black and white when you scare shitless and you're in survival mode. And I don't know what to do with that. Be petty. <laughs> <laughs> Write shitty limericks about him. Oh, man. Conceptually, right? Nothing exists if we don't have the language for it. <laughs> um, and so that brings me to Kelly, right? When we asked her about 
you know, if we bring you into into like this wonderful community, what what do you bring? I like helping people find the words that they maybe can't find themselves um, for them to take with them. So maybe I just write some poems. I'm not a freestyler. You know, I love hip hop, but I ain't going to run no cypher or no shit like that. I'm not that gifted or deep. But I would love to just be able to engage with one person at a time. Groups scare me. They make me tired. But I love the idea of me moving through this community of yours, just connecting with folks and having a little spiritual fist bump. And and to have a poet laureate, you know, come through and be like, hey, just talk to me for a while and then we can figure it out together. I'm going to give you the words you know, to describe what it is you're feeling, I think that's such a powerful gift, you know? And I really appreciated her. Because I think if I were a poet laureate, I would probably, like, charge people for my time. <laughs> Just, and I, I and I mean, like, if, if I come to you and I order coffee, I feel like I should be charging you... <laughs> Because <laughs> you got to talk to me Because I'm a poet laureate So I appreciate that humility You know, I do I also, I also like how she came at it When she says In order to, to heal and thrive I had to reframe My body's way of being in the world As an asset Like anyone Who can write like she writes and talk like she writes. Mm -hmm. How she could not have known that was an asset from the very beginning is a crime against humanity in and of itself. Right. Yeah, like finish the episode. <laughs> oh, finish the episode. Well, thank you very much, listeners, for your time and for your... <laughs> oh, NPR. <laughs> this is Terry Gross. This is Fresh Air. I to say thank you. <laughs> Could you at least give me some, some Kai Rezdar energy in this motherfucker? Um, I'm ready. Do it. I don't know what to do. So... We've had, we've had, um, we've had some really great, insightful, powerful guests on the show. Um, we've been fortunate to have them take the time, spend the time, share out what they have to offer. And I'm super excited for that. I'm super excited for what season two might look like. We will be spending the rest of the summer going into the fall um, perfecting, realigning, revisiting, redrawing the whole nine yards. We're looking at uh, Friday, November 5th, November 5th as um, the opening. Two days after my birthday. Two days after my birthday. November 3rd, birthday. November 5th. 
season two. I, I'm always at a loss for words at the audacity. <laughs> November 3rd, birthday. November 5th, season two. I don't understand why you think people give a shit. I'm Delma Jackson the third. <laughs> you couldn't resist, could you? You know what? All of season two, I'm going to just have you do that. Because you've been itching to be me all of season one. And I don't know if it's some weird sort of racialized blackface thing you got going or something. Like this male blackface thing. You what I got going on is I want to not care. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not hear yourself earlier? I want to just, yeah, how do you sleep at night? I sleep fucking fine. That's how I sleep because I don't give a fuck. So, so you like the Molly Cyrus of this shit, right? You like, I'm ready to go sexy. So now let me get a bunch of black girls dancing behind me with the big booties and shit. Right, this is my coming out. Like I gotta invite. See, you you just named the whole you the whole impetus behind the blackface menstrual tradition. It's embodying someone else's attitude and ways as a way of escaping your own shit. Okay, so thank you for confirming that for all of us collectively. That's fucked up, Shandine. And I need you to do better. You cannot give a fuck and still be you. Did you know that? I'm sorry. I stepped, I nodded off. What <laughs> were you expecting? I didn't. The last I heard was, thank you, people. Come back for the. I nodded off. How can we, we have still recording? listeners? Are we still recording? How can we have listeners if we're boring ourselves to sleep? <laughs> this, this doesn't bode well. <laughs> Just edit out yourself. <laughs> I want to say one part that I loved that you did every episode was have them commit to return. So mm. while we are going to have new guests mm-hmm. based on our connections, based on our our listeners telling us, hey, you should have so-and-so on you should have so-and-so on and you you know i just want to shout out for emil and his dad hopefully they're gonna come on we have folks that are lined up to come and they're gonna be amazing and and make it even stronger and even better and to continue the our previous guest to come back on and visit us we talked about potentially having tanya on as a regular feature reading stories to us we talked about you know having mm-hmm. kelly come and share some of her poetry and on and on and so mm-hmm. just reminding our listeners that if you loved a particular guest reach out and let us know and say oh i really want to have them back if there's someone who you know who you think would be great to hear from please email us and say hey you got to talk to my dad or my teacher or my healer or my friend we would love that. No doubt. No doubt. Um, as always, you can reach us on Facebook at um, facebook.com slash dive injustice. Um, you can reach us via email, both of us, at Delma or Shandine underscore DIJ at wholecommunities.org. What's wrong with you, Shandine? You all right? Or, or, or. <laughs> 
You could. You could reach me at shandine at gmail.com. <laughs> not doing that. That's getting cut. I don't know my password. I can't open Do better. My- I don't know what to tell you. You didn't know I, your password last time we recorded. It's been two weeks and you, your motherfucking ass still don't I know the I reached out. I did. I tried. Definitely keeping this part of the pod. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for giving us a chance on season one. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Um, thank you for reflecting with us. Thank you for reaching out to us and letting us know what you've really been appreciating, letting us know what you'd love to hear more of. Um, thank you for letting us know that you want to hear less of Sean Dean. I do too. Um, we love you so much. Um, we look forward to reconnecting in season two. And we hope that in the meantime, between time, particularly for our Patreon supporters, you can definitely expect to still continue to see some content we have some different content that we're excited to present in season two that we'll be working on in the off season. So yeah, we're just all the way around excited and um, can't wait to re-engage with you. Can't wait to meet new folks, make new friends, maybe new enemies. I don't really give a shit. Um, but yeah, Shandine, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this project um, and to help make season one what it was. It definitely would not have been as fun without you. And so uh, just thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you, sis. Blessing and a burden. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. <laughs> uh, reminder to listeners, if you get a chance to read Delma's blog, I gave him a lot of shit for it this episode, <laughs> but it's something you need to listen to. And um, same to you. I love you. This has been a journey that I did not anticipate. It's been life-giving. It's been healing. It's been uh, what our listeners don't know is that you and I connect for often a good hour before and sometimes a good hour afterwards to actually hold space for one another. And that sort of um, love and friendship is not, we don't take it lightly. Mm -hmm. And to actually have the gift to make true space for it Mm-hmm. has been one of the greatest things that I would say has ever happened to me. Aww. I love you too, sis. Um, oh, my God. I don't know if I believe that or not. <laughs> like, what's that sincerity or was that mockery? I think I told you I loved you earlier today. <clears throat> you did. You did. But I was, to be fair, I was also crying. What that got to do with me telling you I love you? You think I tell everybody I That's love them true. because they start crying? Have you met me yet can, at all? That's true. I cry all, that's true. I cry all the time. <laughs> it's like no big deal to you. Hell no. Hell no. Talk to my kids. They'll tell you the same shit. Boy, here's a tissue. No. Don't handle your business. I'm such an asshole. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you. Uh as my co-host, I appreciate my audience. I appreciate my guests. So thankful for this opportunity. Shout out to the Center for All Communities um, for giving us a chance to, to engage with this in the first place. Big shout out to them. I'm looking forward to bringing some of them on for season two as well. Um, yeah. Big, big shout out to uh, Metropolitan Group, too, who has created the conditions for me 
to continue my podcast mm-hmm. as I show up and do uh, work with them and, and in their communities. And also, our team couldn't have made it without Jenny Cotting, could not have made it without Soraya. Shout I out. don't want to speak for Doug, but I'm pretty sure his level of patience with you is through the roof as he helps clean up your edits. That's all I'm going to say. Do with that what you will. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we definitely could not have made this without the support of our team. Um, so much thankfulness and gratefulness to Soraya, to Jenny, to Doug. Um, thank you all so much. And we're so excited to see what we can co-create for season two. And i um, looking forward to taking this journey with y'all and um, even further, further, farther, faster, stronger, higher, better, bigger. What? What? Say something, Shandy. I dare you to say something right now. You see the zone I'm in right now. Don't do it. I'm like two steps away from WWE in this motherfucker. <laughs> Damn, I was trying so hard not to laugh. Fuck. I want to watch your man, Randy. Savage on you, motherfucker. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank Can't you so much. See you again in November. November, November 5th, not November 3rd. Two days after November 3rd. Can't wait. Love you all. Bye. Love y'all. Peace, peace, peace. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Doug Fairnstein is our audio engineer. Sarah McCandless is our administrative support. Jennifer Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotional support. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.